Hello everybody, welcome to Transit Unveiled, the podcast where we talk about the history, news, and opinions on how we get from point A to point B, and maybe even back again. I'm your host, Alex. And I will be a guest on the show, I am Ford. Good, good, very good. In today's episode, we will be talking about the now-defunct, depending on who you ask, maybe even sadly-defunct British automaker, British Leyland. And I'll say I'm familiar with that. Yeah, they were... In the U.S., they are somewhat obscure. You're probably more familiar with like some of their former products, like uh, the Mini, for example, or Land Rover. I have heard on those, on the contrary. Yes. Yeah. I know, uh, the Land Rover was not originally created by them, they just owned the Rover brand for a long time. Mm. Yeah, BL as a company was formed as the merger between the British Motor Corporation and the Leyland Motor Company in 1968. And it Seemed going pretty well. The company was divided into three divisions based on the brands of the predecessor companies. There's special vehicle division, mass mark, and the mass market division for cars and you know general consumer vehicles. Specialty vehicles being Leyland's former brands, Jag, Rover, with a few others. And then Austin Morris became the mass market division. They made cars like the Austin... I'm pretty sure they were... Like the Austin Healey. There's another thing they made. Like the the Rover was considered part of the special division. Uh, Jag, Land Rover. Honestly, I've, I've... Mostly it was former Leyland brands became specialty... Former BMC brands became mass market division. And then there was Leyland Truck and Bus for commercial stuff. Trucks and buses. You get that? I do. Probably a bit too awkward of a pause. Start things were going fine. The brand's failed to properly integrate with each other. There were oftentimes multiple cars competing for the same market. Okay. And that would, and that drove down sales and also like workers at former BMC factories didn't want to make Leyland cars. Former Leyland factories workers there didn't want to make BMC cars. Like they wouldn't make Austins for example or they wouldn't make Minis. See, that seems interesting. I wouldn't think that the workers yeah. would be not against that. Or a factory manager. I've... Or a factory manager, yeah. Yes. But that was there that... just loyalty to those brands? Yeah. Or was there some yeah. sort of a production mm-hmm. change? A combination of like vastly separate production chains that were never quite meshed and also just like fierce brand loyalty. It's really kind 
a little bit confusing to me because, see, I would imagine that there would be a pretty big production change even between the Mini and the Rover, which was both Wayland, correct? Uh, no. Mini, that was uh, Austin. I believe R Rover was Leyland. Oh. What was the other uh, Leyland brand? Uh, I believe Leyland was... Uh... I believe Leyland had, like, obviously Leyland cars, the brand itself. The truck and bus division was mostly Leyland. And I believe they also owned, like... I believe Leyland was the one that owned Jag and uh, Land Rover. Or Rover which also owned Land Rover by proxy. Anyhow, to continue my point, I would imagine that between the Jag and the Rover would be a major change where I feel like between the Rover and the Mini, that would be the same, if not less so, a change. So this brand loyalty must have been really strong, right? Yeah, it was, different, it was mostly different supply chains. At the time, and bland, not bland royalty, brand loyalty. <laughs> bland loyalty is just when you really like the Chevy Equinox. I certainly can't agree. The Chevy Equinox is not a very interesting car. Indeed, indeed. And. Man, that's way too awkward to pause. Yeah. Cars they did make were selling fine. The Mini was a very iconic car and very popular in the 60s. And, like, its successor brands continued to sell it into, like, I believe the last Mini built to the original design was completed in, like, 1999 or 2000. Wow, that really is not all that long ago. So, Obviously not quite within our lifetimes, but like there are there are still minis that are new enough. There are still like minis built to the original design that are still not built that are still not within the twenty five year rule for being imported. Uh, I'm actually looking at the Leyland Motors page on Wikipedia, and it says that they were defunct in nineteen sixty eight. That was when the merger happened. We're talking about yeah. British Leyland, which is a separate company. Oh. Apologies, I'm mistaken. Like another thing that would be a long issue for their entire history was... Uh, Poor industrial relations. Shop managers, factory managers, were considered were often considered to be very harsh and like rather militant and very brutal, like on par with like how Amazon is occasionally seen. So there's more so problems with the workers, less so with supply chain. Well, it's a mix of various ones because everything in the supply chain was also so intertwined. It's weird, the side that, like, one factory striking could grind all production to a halt. 
everything was obscenely intertwined in like weird ways to the point where in theory one factory shutting down and like I'm not sure if these were they were actually factories like in all these locations but one factory shutting down and like I don't know again I'm not sure if there were actually were factories in these locations but one a factory shutting down in Newcastle could cause issues for a factory in Penzance again I'm pretty sure factory I'm not even sure if factories did exist in those two locations and they probably didn't that's just like hypothetical like just, just as an illustrative purpose so, so they were British Leyland this was by this we're at this point we're in the 70s I would not I'm pretty sure they did sort out most of the hey workers from these factories don't want to build cars for this brand right so might I ask the British Leyland brand and Leyland Motors how connected were they or are they just a coincidence that like happened to have similar names uh, Leyland Motors merged with British Motor Company or British Motor Corporation to form British Leyland and then Leyland became oh. one of the brands think like GM you mean GE uh, no GM General Motors oh like, imagine, I it was like, General Electric. imagine if you combined General Motors and a imagine if you combined General Motors and AMC and then made it British that's what you get that's how you that's what how I would describe British Leyland in the most brief terms all right, I think I understand better now. Should I repeat yeah, that so it's more clear? could not operate and build cars at the rate they wanted to, and also this led to issues with build quality, the near constant strikes, which meant that low volumes of cars were produced, relatively speaking. And not many were sold, and that allowed, among other things, for Japanese automakers like Honda, Toyota, Nissan, Daihatsu. Did they sell cars in the UK? Yeah, I don't know. To gain traction in, in, in the UK among people who were not like the British equivalent of that one guy who always buys American. Right. Well, you were talking about Japanese brands? Yeah, specifically Japanese brands are the ones that mostly beat out, like, British Leyland. This led to their bankruptcy in 1975. However, this would not be the end of the end of British Leyland. That wouldn't happen for like over a decade. Sir Don Ryder. Yeah, here eleven more years. Yeah. Before it succeeded into the Rover Group. Yeah. Group. We'll be there soon. This led to Sir Don Ryder being sent to investigate 
Yale's financial situation and the Ryder Report would result in major restructuring. This led to it being divided into the four divisions of Leyland Cars for all automotive production, Leyland Truck and Bus for commercial vehicle production, including the infamous Pacer Rail Car, which I'm going to talk about for a second. In like, I forget, once again, I forget whether this was the 70s or 80s, British Rail, Britain's nationalized rail, railroad, needed cheap passenger diesel multiple units for commuter routes and routes in more rural parts of the country. So, they called Le British Leyland, and what they did was they took a Leyland National Bus, actually two of them, fused them together, put put rail bogies on them, called it a day. These became infamous over the years for horrible ride qualities, probably amplified by the fact they were often put on the not most well-maintained rail lines in the country. So well, yeah, didn't you just say that they were from more rural areas? Yeah, more rural areas had a really horrendous ride quality and are not very well liked. Like, they weren't, I'm pretty sure they weren't all that well liked then, but they're not even well liked even today. Uh, especially not today, since a lot of them have been in, in use since the 70s. And 80s. So yeah, they are slowly being replaced. I believe they were, I believe if you want to, no, if you want to read about them more, just search Pacer Rail Car. I'm pretty sure they're. I believe they were like the Class One Five One or Class One Three Ones. It's like one of the more popular variants. Popular. I have no. What largely produced. Unit of currency you just used. One Three Ones. Uh, like. BR used that's what that's how BR British Rail managed their rolling stock it was the top system. For example, there was the class 08 of diesel switchers or the class 55 of Delta better known as the Deltics for passenger locomotives. I still don't fully understand how that translates into value. It's not about that's not like value, that's like how they were organized and how they were used for like organizing trains. Like in the computer uh -huh. system. It's like... It, for example, tech, like BR had a fleet of ferries that would carry rail cars across the English Channel before the channel happened. Those were like right. the Class 95s or something, or Class 98s. Oh. Oh, okay. And... So these... But that's right now we're talking about British Leyland. I can I can talk about I can talk about British Rail for that's an entire other episode we can talk about. That's an entire series of episodes we can do that, or just do like an hour long episode about British Rail because honestly I would gladly rant about that for a very long time. I'm sure we could easily arrange something like that in the future. Yes. Leyland Special Products handling their non-transportation related parts of their business or like, I guess, anything that didn't go on road or rail. 
Like, this was what their tractor brands were. Or forklifts, or Coventry Climax, which produced engines. And before, like, although this was before this, even F1 engines. F1, really? Yeah, Formula One Racing. And Leyland International for handling their British out. They're handling their British outside of the UK, handling their business outside of the UK. Like, exporting their cars to countries like, and trucks and buses, to countries like India. We'll get to that in a bit. Or to the US. That's how some of, that's how, like, some of the few minis in the US classic minis in the U.S. were got to the U.S. They were sold here in the 60s. So, that, that's how... Would you like to talk a bit more about their truck and the bus division? Yes. Or specifically the trucks? Because it trucks. seems like those were used was... up until really late. Yeah. Yeah, the truck and bus division was very was like probably the longest lasting of their of their of the Leyland brands because there's obviously the Leyland National buses like BL they produced buses for a lot of different bus companies including the privatized bus companies before national formation of the national bus company the national bus company which was the UK's nationalized bus company for like a long time and then, like, obviously they produced trucks, semis, heavy goods vehicles for various trucking companies throughout the UK, throughout Europe, and India for a long time. In fact, we'll get to this later, but, like, Leyland Truck and Bus is still around. Just not in the way you might think. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it now. Yeah, it's um, still a thing in India. Ashok Leyland? Yeah, a- Ashok Leyland. That still exists in India. That's, like, a big deal. <laughs> hmm. And. Yeah. They did actually have quite a, a few well received products. The. Rover SD1 of 1976 was European Car of the Year. And it was one of the first times they didn't really have two cars competing against each other for the same market. The Rover SD1 was like a two-door and four-door sports car. Well, by this point, hadn't uh, the other company dissolved? Uh, At this point, these are the same company. Oh. Like, Austin's still a thing, Jag is still a thing, obviously Rover and Land Rover are still a thing, the Mini is still around. The Mini, like I said, was produced in its original form until 2000. Right. And, like, good news was on the horizon. The British government approved massive investments in Loughbridge Assembly to produce a replacement for the Mini 
that of course took the f in 1980 took the form of the Austin Metro and the Rover Metro. Hmm. However, British Leyland, as British Leyland, the brand, British Leyland, the company known as British Leyland, would come to a, would, however, come to an end with the Thatcher era. Jaguar being was the first aspect of BR to be private, BR BL to be privatized in 1984, and in 1987. The Rover Group formed out of, like, what remained of BL. And that would uh, conti continue to exist, putting out, putting out cars under the Mini Rover MG. And I believe they also, and I believe also Land Rover, and I'm not sure if there were a few of them. I believe at that point it was just Rover, MG, and Mini. And of course, Land Rover. Um, I'm looking at this, and says in well, there's the MG Ro Motor, there's the MG Rover Group, and then there's Land Rover. Okay. Yeah, I believe I believe Land Rover and Mini were both spun off into separate companies in 2000, with Mini being sold to, uh, gosh dang it. BMW, who owns them to this day, Land Rover going to Ford, which by that point also, I believe also owned Jag, at Austin, or Aston, not Austin, Aston Martin, and at that point, the last of BR, at that point, MG Rover would continue to sort of plot around producing like the Rover 5, the Rover 600. Uh, didn't they have to license some stuff from BMW though? Now, yeah, they were. I think they were licensing some things from BMW, and they would shut down in two thousand and five. Oh. they were the last non-luxury automaker to still be a thing in the UK, and it effectively brought an end to domestically owned UK production, UK auto production outside of luxury and industrial markets. Obviously, Land Rover and Jag still exist. They are now owned by the Tata Group in India. Ashok Leyland is still a thing in India. And MG is sort of made a comeback. It's now owned by the SAIC Group out of China. Well, I guess at least it isn't defunct. Yeah, it still exists, although I'm not even... Although, like... They're gone. UK auto production is... Like I said, outside of... Lower volume markets like luxury cars, industrial markets... That's largely gone. I believe... I believe... I'm not sure exactly where Mini... I'm not sure if Minis are still made in the UK or if their production's moved to Germany. Well, isn't the Mini made by BMW there now? They're, they're made by BMW. And I would not be surprised if, like, now actually Mini... I wouldn't be surprised if some Minis are being made in the US. 
since BMW has Spartanburg Assembly in South Carolina. Do they now? Yeah, but that, but that's for the chicken tax episode. Well, that sounds very interesting, just from the title. Oh, it is. It is. Because we're going to have to talk about international trade disputes. And it's also Whoa, fun, and it's also fun fact why we have the Tacoma and not the Hilux here in the U.S. And also why the Subaru Brat had seats in the bed. But I'm not gonna explain too much because then the listeners, because then the listeners might not want to listen to the episode if we if we explain too much of it. But yeah, really interesting subject. Episode for another day. I'm gonna probably get to writing this once we're done recording. Yeah, that concludes the inaugural episode of Transit Unveiled. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Transit Unveiled, but this time it's actually spelled correctly. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, pleasure talking to you too. Please tune in again next time, whenever that happens, when we discuss something else I haven't decided yet. Probably the history of the family car. Which is going to be really interesting because I get to complain about SUVs.